Every perspective has the potential to cloud the judgment of another. Concerning our conversation on today's episode, don't let it. Humility is of utmost importance to the integrity of perspective. Before you judge, criticize, critique, or draw conclusions about anybody's life, understand that you only know what you think you know. You only see what you think you see. You only hear what you think you hear. You only feel what you think you feel. And you only believe what you think you believe. Here's your opportunity to listen to a perspective outside your own. Will you take it? Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It's literally with Elsie. Um, I'm here again. This time I'm being joined by Cole Nye. Um, introduce yourself, Cole Nye. Let us know. Let the f- people know. Um, <clears throat> well, here I am uh, in Ross Commons. Uh, I'm a sophomore here at Middlebury. Uh, I've been friends with Elsie for about two years now. And I, my favorite color is blue. Uh, I'm excited to be on the podcast, and I'm pumped for this adventure. Yay. All right, cool, man. Yeah, so thanks. As y'all heard, my friend, um, we played football together here at Middlebury. Um, he still plays lacrosse, does a lot of different things, smart guy, um, real analytical. <laughs> I like that. But, um, yeah, so we'll get into our conversation as far as what's going through in his mind, what's kind of you're talking about, what you're thinking about. Um, here while you're at Middlebury. What what grade here are you at Middlebury? Sophomore. Sophomore. So, so I'm sort of in the three fifths of the way through my through my or three eighths of the way through my time here, just under halfway. And it's it's a weird juncture because uh, I'm I'm in this place where I'm being pushed to decide on a major, which is just, I think a good thing. You know, it's it's generally good to focus your studies, but uh, if there was a general studies major, that would be probably what I would go for. Um, so, you know, specializing is interesting. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Uh, and I am pretty against limiting myself, to be honest. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, me, I mean, I'm a senior, so I'm kind of, what is it? Seven eighths of the way through or pretty much more than that probably. But yeah, I, I, I feel that angst as far as like starting and picking a major because I mean, that's the thing that you're here for, right? <laughs> Is to find something and pattern your life after it. But my question, well, I got a question to you. Um, like in that, obviously that position of being here for something, but then you're just here. Like what about the liberal arts part of it? Like the experience of taking just classes, 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 like allows you to, does it contribute or? You know, I think, I, so I took a class last year actually called Winter Term in the Liberal Arts with Tim Spears. It's a very philosophical class, and we talked quite a bit about uh, about what is the purpose of a liberal arts education. And I do think that it is to prevent early specialization. So, you know, you show up somewhere, and initially this was something that I didn't like, but you know, you have a set of distribution requirements. So, you know, you got to take a science, you got to take a uh, language, you got to take a you know, a couple forms of cultural reviews. You got to take, you know, all sorts of literally literacy classes, writing classes, um, and I think initially an open curriculum was a lot more attractive to me, uh, like something that they have at Brown and I believe Amherst too. But uh, but I, I think I've sort of come to realize that those distribution requirements are meant to get you out of your shell and 
make you try things that you wouldn't otherwise try. And I, I, I do feel bad for some of my teammates who, you know, they show up and without even a second thought or a glance at the curriculum, they decide they're going to be econ majors. And not that there's anything wrong with economics or, or being an economist, but I appreciate how I've been pushed to try and explore different topics. But that said, now that I'm at the point of my career where it's less about spreading your wings and casting a wide net, mixed metaphor there, um, it's, uh, it's become a lot more about growing in a particular subject, which growth is good. Um, it's going to equip me to make contributions in, in, uh, in more ways than I would if it was just this, you know, sort of wide array of, of non-specialized. But at the same time, as far as how I view education, it, I like it to be a lot less transactional, where it's not like I'm getting something from this, and where it's a lot more experimentation. And I do feel like now I'm, I'm at, the pay, at the stage where the experimentation is fading, uh, and I, I kind of miss it, I gotta say. Hmm. Yeah, so I mean, there was a lot that I'm gonna grab onto um, in that conversation. One of the first things was that mix between comfort and uncomfort. We talked about that on the last episode with Tauber, but that mix between comfort and uncomfort and how it pushes you, I guess you could say, and how it that exposure, what you were saying, and, and not coming in as a status quo and, like, finding, like you said, experimenting, right? Because experimenting can be uncomfortable. But, like, in that process of experimentation, like narrowing it down, what was the thing that made you, I don't know, confidently say that I'm finding my path and this is the time that I need to do that? Because, I mean, college is a huge time thing. Like, as you go through it, you feel more and more and more and more pressure of the real world. So what is that, like, the time of that comfort, blah, 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 you know what I'm trying to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I'm not even necessarily comfortable now. I, I It's actually, it's funny, you know, I, I took a gap year and... For a year, I was doing these really specific and sort of, I don't want to say unskilled because that sounds bad, but like these jobs where, you know, as a high school senior, I was equipped to do them. And uh, and now, you know, you dive into college and, and it's this time where you get to be completely uncomfortable with what you're taking. But there's since there's sort of an end on either side it's you embrace that discomfort and you just really dive into it and I think right now the hard part for me is that you know I not that I can see this on my horizon but eventually I will be an old man hopefully I'll be married and have some kids and who knows where I'll be living but you know a job and um, you know picking a major now obviously you know you don't necessarily have to do what your major has trained you to do, but, you know, I'm, I'm an English major, English literature major, and to be honest, I don't really know how I stumbled into it. I do love writing, I love arguing, um, and I love reading. Uh, it's a skill that I've, you know, developed and worked on a lot, but at the same time, I'm not sure how conscious of a choice that was and how comfortable I really am with it. Um, I love about liberal arts that 
that that is subject to change and that, you know, if I decide like you, I want to be a sociology major next year, I can do that. But at the same time, you know, it's, it seems a little bit arbitrary to me that, uh, that you have to, you know, all of a sudden this, you turn 20 or 19 for a lot of sophomores and all of a sudden you're, you're put on a path that you have to feel good about. Sounds very angsty. I don't want to say, like, I, I do like English a lot, and I'm very happy with where I'm going, but I just, you know, I'm not an engineer. I'm not an economist. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a, you know, I'm not pre-med. I'm not a chemist. So it's not like there's a clear, you know, I'm not training to be a doctor here. I'm, I'm going to be equipped with some writing fundamentals and some theories of, liter- of literature, but, you know, where does that take me? I don't know. Yeah, that, 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 where does it take you? Uh, that's that's the, the angsty part. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's like the one unknown in that process of experimentation is like, all right, we're doing all this stuff here. We're here, like you're writing. We're doing all these classes, even though you're not those majors. I mean, there's tons of people around you that are. So it's like, all right, like I see all this stuff happening, but like what's happening? Like what's happening, you know? And that, that's, that's anxious. That, that contributed to a lot of my angst, especially me taking a little personal note off it. Now I'm about to go to the real world. There's like even more options and more people hustling and bustling. But, but yeah, um, yeah, it's huge. As, a, as somebody who's entering the real world, um, do you feel married to your degree as you're picking your, you know, your career options? Are you like really weighing you know, I want this to be tied to sociology in some respect. Do you want to go into academia? Or is it like, okay, I did this, but now I want to go be a land conservationist or a real estate agent or something? Hmm. I wouldn't say, like, I feel tied almost at all. Just because, I mean, my, my process here has been very take a lot of different classes. I had like a track when I first entered, but by sophomore year, I kind of realized that like, there needs to be a different consistency than the one that I'm on and it just didn't align. And so that like, once that freedom, like I was hearing you say about like freedom, right? Of freedom of choice kind of in so many different avenues. Like I just kind of threw myself in and experimented so now that I have a, a major sociology it's like but I learned a lot more things here so like because sociology can be theoretical so if it depends on what you put it in so I'm kind of glad that I took the route because if I immediately came in like that I don't think I would have a, a grounding part to like yeah. compare my theoretical thoughts to so but I, I do I, I don't feel tied but I do feel tied to progress. I think it's important to note that, I mean, my mom was a, not this isn't the important part to note. My mom was a, was a art major. She was a studio art major and an art history minor mm-hmm. and then went to law school. Like it, it doesn't really matter. But at the same time, I think that having a, having a wide array of skills where you're, you know, there's this cliche where like at a liberal arts college, you don't necessarily learn one trade, you learn how to think. 
And I think that's a little bit pretentious because you obviously learn how to think everywhere. You know, no institution of higher learning is teaching you to just be a robot. But uh, but I will say, like when I <laughs> when I went to this internship this summer, um, there were 82 interns, I think, or maybe 86, and it was you know decent sized company. It's still technically a startup, but uh, but there are like 400 people that work there now, and uh, and almost all of them are engineers. And I think what qualified me to to have success was not being an engineer. I got weirdly tied into some projects that are pretty niche, but understanding how people want to be presented with information and sort of not necessarily being ultra specialized myself, if you have too much focus coming out of college, it can actually inhibit you, um, where you might be really good in your one field, but there is there's a lot to be said about being a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, you know, if, if you have, a, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, you know? Mm -hmm. I think if you maybe don't have the same size hammer, but you have a, a bigger tool belt, um, you know, maybe you're a little bit better at figuring out when you need a Phillips head versus a flathead screwdriver. Yeah, that's a, that's a great analogy. I, yeah, I like- off the dome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, off the dome is even better. But, yeah, I like to use, I don't like that saying either. Like you say, it's better to be a jack of all trades. I, I, this is just been I put on it. It's better to be a jack of all trades and a master of one. Because it's like, yeah, you have that narrow focus, but then, like, you also have that shotgun approach. Or, like, you know, like, how to use the Phillips when you need to use the Phillips, but, like, if you need to bring out the jackhammer, like, you just kind of spray. Yeah. But, yeah, and but how funny how bringing you bringing that up... Um, like, tying that to, like, what you do and, like, contribution because, I mean, you were saying, like, the narrower your focus is, sometimes it inhibits your ability to do other things, right? If you've only, um, I don't know, use a Phillips your whole life, then you never even learn about a flathead, right? Until you see the flathead, it's like, oh, I can use this. But I want to kind of switch a little gear, not really, but towards more of what you do in pursuit of what we were talking about. Because I feel like before I want to set up that, because um, like theory is very, like it's based on action, but it's not tied to it, I guess you could say. I feel like theory almost precedes action, but doesn't necessarily lead to it always. I, I, I don't know. I just had a class where I was, we were sort of, we were talking, I'm taking contemporary literary theory right now. Mm -hmm. And contemporary and literary, contemporary is probably the easiest of those words to define. Literature itself is a very wide array of mediums, but um, the biggest thing I learned in that class was that I really have no idea what theories are. You know, if you think about like the theory of evolution, it's generally pretty proven. Um, the theory, the Pythagorean theorem, you know, that's, that's kind of like rules and like also like factual. Then there's, you know, people say like in theory, which is kind of a reducing it to like an educated guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a million ways to apply the word theory that are pretty confusing. 
Until you base them in action. Until you base something in action. Until you do something, mm -hmm. right? And then you can say this is, you know, this theory is what informed this action. But I think a lot of that can also be applied retroactively. You know, like maybe something works out and then you realize that maybe a certain theory or a certain mindset got you somewhere. Mm -hmm. Or like guiding principles, whatever you want to call a theory. Uh, but honestly, right now, I don't think I'm in a position to... To talk about yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I do. In you, you sort of brought up like, what do you do? Um, and I think this sort of ties into like what we were talking about earlier. Is that I think with with my education, with my skill set, I'm not gonna be. You know, whether this is on a team or in a company or in a classroom, I'm not gonna be the person with the best idea. I'm not going to be the best athlete on the team. But what I am good at is connective tissue. Mm -hmm. You know, I, generally I know how to talk to people. That's a good way to put it. And, uh, and you know, people have, a, have all their different ways of communicating needs. And a lot of frustration and disaster arises when people who struggle to communicate needs don't have those needs met. Or people who aren't particularly receptive to somebody else talking about their needs are incapable of meeting those needs. And I think there's always a role, as long as people are doing business with people or working with people, maybe that's not gonna last as long as we think, who knows, but um, but there's always a role for connective tissue. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's sort of something that we both can identify with is that you know, it, it's sometimes it's good to be a locker room guy yeah. and to just make sure you know, the team culture stays positive and productive. And, you know, you obviously, you had a bunch of carries this year. You had a great season. But I don't think that I didn't have a role on this team, you know. And I think that's that's sort of true for uh, for anything that you get involved with, as long as you apply yourself to the, the working function of the team and making sure that the machine keeps going. You know, sometimes you got to be the grease. And mm -hmm. not everybody can be. Yeah, and I I liked your metaphor you used the body, yeah. connective <laughs> tissue, because yeah. that because that brought in like the being of the connect like thinking of an individual as a connective tissue, because that makes the sport the body or the team the body. Yeah, you know, and like some people are got the eyes, some people got the feet, some people got the hands, and it, it all works. But in order for the body to run, there needs to be that connective tissue to keep them all like smoothly. I guess you could say. So in like comparing that um, connective tissue to like your locker room guy talk, right? And connect that to our earlier conversation, because arguably you've been doing that, right? You've, I mean, playing with you, I, I knew that that was you, you know? And like, I know that you were, but you were always there at every practice. You were always there with a smile, most importantly. Like guys like, yeah, it sucks, but hey, we're gonna make, we're gonna keep moving on. And like, I feel like that was a theme of a lot of our football is, there's injured guys, but they're still there, and we're still moving on. And we had to maintain that positive attitude. Get to. So, in like mixing that um, with what we were talking about earlier, in I would say connective tissue, and uncomfort, because connective tissue is most warranted when there's uncomfortable experiences. Totally. In mixing those two things. How has like your progression through that connective tissue, whatever you want to call it, football game, or I mean, football locker room, how has that, 
contributed to like I would say your identity and like who who you I don't know not see yourself being but now that you you develop another person to be because you said you weren't but like I'm I asked you this question before how were you in high school you know it's interesting <clears throat> in high school uh, in high school I was the best athlete you know mm-hmm. I was like I was the captain of the football team captain of the lacrosse team like I was scoring touchdowns, scoring goals. Um, and I think there is sometimes when you are, this sounds really cocky, but sometimes when you are good, Confidence. it's hard to relate to some of the struggles that some of the other guys are feeling. And I think that sports are an incredible teacher. Absolutely. And I think that you know my identity early on, really in youth sports, was so focused on my own individual development because the teams that I played on, it was you show up for practice, you show up for games, you know, maybe you're talking to the kids you're with for an hour a day or, you know, an hour and a half to get dressed and undressed. And, you know, it's pretty limited. But then when you get into higher levels of competition, especially at boarding schools or at, at, uh, at college, those teams become like living ecosystems mm. and things that mm. either thrive or fail. And I think that's really where I started to realize my role more. You know, as, a, as an underclassman, I felt like I could communicate the needs of the underclassmen better than a lot, of they, a lot of the ways they could. And as an upperclassman, having had that experience, um, I always put an emphasis on making sure that those kids felt heard. Mm. But that said, like, when you graduate into becoming a, a captain, you know, in some ways you're you're the locker room's extension to the coaching staff and the coaching staff extension to the locker room. And you're sort of trying to maintain a healthy relationship between the two. Double-edged sword. Yeah, and but sometimes that that cuts you. You know, sometimes the double-edged sword, you know, you, you, you meant to you meant to do something and you sort of fall out of favor with somebody. And not that you can please everybody, but... It's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, and you don't want to lose the locker room. And I think mm-hmm. that that happens sometimes. Um, and, and, you know, you have to be compassionate in how you go about solving that. But I think really when I've realized that the most is in college uh, because all of a sudden you're not the star player. And, and, uh, and being compassionate becomes, in some ways, your playbook. Uh, and, and having conversations become your plays, your third downs, you know, those, those long conversions that you have, you know, where most of the time we're throwing the ball to Donnie Wood or Greg Livingston or Anson or something. Shout out, shout out. Shout out those boys, <laughs> no free advertising. <laughs> uh, you know, my third down conversions are probably in the locker room, probably talking to people who are uh, really frustrated with somebody else on the team and, you know, sort of talking them off the ledge uh, about, you know, quitting or about, you know, I think one of the worst things that can happen on a team is where everyone pretends they're fine, but no one feels free to air grievances publicly. Mm-hmm. And so it's good to be a confidant, but then you also have to be an informant. You mm-hmm. have to make have sure to that, that, like, while you can protect somebody's identity and somebody's, uh, somebody's personal issues, it's just as important to be able to communicate with the person who may be blocking that person from feeling valued that 
something needs to change. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for my identity, it's been developed a lot through sports and then through my, you know, limited working experience too, is that I'm not going to probably be the person who designs, you know, I the company I work for is a aircraft startup. You know, I'm not going to... You've done I'm, some work here in Burlington. I'm, yeah, I've, I've in, up in uh, Burlington. It's called Beta Technologies, no free advertising. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be the person who designs the Gen 5 motor, but, you know... Damn sure when, be part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but when, but like when the CEO, you know, I'm, uh, this is being facetious, but like if the CFO and the CEO are getting in a fight, like I can be part of the patchwork. That mm. that uh, that's that's speaking out of turn. That doesn't happen there. But uh, <laughs> but like if two members of the recharge team are are missing each other with their communications, which is something that actually is realistic, um, and that's sort of the department I work with. Like if they're missing each other. You know, I think that my experience in the locker room has informed my ability to have a conversation with both of those people about how the other person can respond to the to the other person, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, it's just it's about keeping people connected and about you know Focusing contributing that point. way. Yeah. In some ways, it's that consistency thing that you were talking mm-hmm. about in your first episode. Like consistency is. A big part of it is just working, you know, ordinary function. Mm-hmm. And dysfunction, I think, comes so much from stupid issues that just they're little, they're little squeaks in the wheel. They draw on and on. Yeah, and and, and you know they go, they are they're swept under the rug, and it's oh, like I won't deal with this now. I won't deal with this now. I won't mm. deal with this now. And then you're irrationally angry at somebody who doesn't know that they're messing up. So I want, I want to grab right on that and competition, input competition in there. Because yeah. what you were saying earlier and, and about competition and how as your level increased from high school to, to college, right, your, your level of competition increased. So that forced you to find a new role in your pursuit of everything that you're doing, right? So in that competition and mixing that competition, what has like that... What is that fire? Or because competition obviously makes lights a fire within people sometimes, and that anger, like you were talking about, mixing them between, um, like if your boss and somebody else are getting in, you can be almost that water that like puts out certain parts. What has that competition done for your confidence in being the water? Um, <clears throat> you know, I think in this in this metaphor, say we're putting out a fire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think a better metaphor is instead of me being the water, I think I'm the hose. Like you're the rubber, or you're I'm you're the, the, you're the, the rubber the, that's guiding the water. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I think two things, like something that happens between two people, can only be solved between those two people by those two people. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's a way to deliver that in a right way. And, and I also think, you know, what, what motivates me to, to do that is buying into the success of the team. Like, if I don't care about, you know, I, I worked at Chipotle, and I didn't give a shit about that job. <laughs> I showed up to work every day. I did my job. I yeah. cut onions. I made guac, you know. I worked on the line. I can wrap a damn fine burrito. <laughs> I'll go eat one. <laughs> <laughs> and I will happily wrap it for you. 
But, but like, if you said, what is the mission at Chipotle? Damn if I know. Yeah. You know, serve some burritos, I guess. Don't get people sick. No Chipocalypse 2016 repeats. Like, <laughs> th- that, you know, there's no clear mission there. Whereas, if there's a team, you know, every week the mission changes and it's beat Wesleyan, beat Williams, beat Hamilton, beat Bates, mm-hmm. you know, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I think if you have a bunch of people that all buy into that mission, then, you know, in some ways everybody can be a hose. And there are some personalities that are more charged than others. But, but I think, you know, a lot of those issues arise when things when those those squeaky moments where there isn't harmony on the team when those are swept under the rug like that creates that's friction and that creates issues and and it, people start to take it personally and you know i think you people it's almost a humility thing like you forget that everyone's just trying to do their best job at life and at you know whatever it is they're trying to accomplish and they're not directly targeting you but when something feels like it's targeting you you lose that perspective mm-hmm. and sometimes you just have to be you know a middle tier talent with a lot of perspective to help people get past those little hangups that they have where they're just taking something pretty innocent really personally hmm. yeah yeah, I I love all that, cool man. <laughs> and I nothing that, <laughs> nothing that. But we're we're kind of winding down. So, um, but one thing that I do want to grab onto that you said and kind of echo, because um, it goes right along the lines of that consistency and change and uncomfort and discomfort, is harmony. Because you use that word harmony, and not not only harmony as in like. Your matching tones with a different. Uh, I want to harmonize. <laughs> we could do that. Oh. Uh. <laughs> but like harmony in the sense of finding that equilibrium, you know. And once you find it with a team, with yourself, with a family, with with I don't know the world at large. Once you find that harmony, dang it, protect it. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean that's what I was hearing you say is there's and once you learn how you want to protect it, get better at it. Get more efficient, get more whatever, so you can serve the purpose of, not yourself, but that harmony that everybody works to get towards. It's a, it's a classic Ritterism. Get out of yourself, get into the team. Buy in, you know, just do it. Just, just yeah. fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is, if I'm allowed to swear right now, but uh, yeah. maybe you'll have to bleep that out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, be where your feet are. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, well, thank you, Cole and I. Um, Billy Charles. Yeah, that's the end of the show. And yeah, now for the outro. This conversation today only holds context if it's backed with evidence. Nobody other than the person who lived the conversation has the evidence to support the facts presented. So don't sell yourself short and get wrapped up in trying. Nobody asked for your help. Take what's been said and leave what hasn't. Don't try and bridge the gap. Life comes and life goes. When will you notice a difference? All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.